In the world of recruiting, some people have seen it all. They build recruiting teams from the ground up, hired hundreds of people in the best companies in the world, develop their expertise year after year. I'm Robin Choi, and I'm on a mission to collect their learnings. These are their stories. Hey, everyone. Hey, Mike. Hey, Robin. Thanks for joining us today. So I'm big on ChatGPT, generative AI. That's uh, all I think about these days. And you, Mike, are uh, probably as passionate as me and even more because you wrote a book called The AI Recruiter on the applications of um, especially ChatGPT and the GPT technology to recruiting. So today we'll be going through this book, trying to condense this book in 30 minutes. So that will be a, a tough thing to do but we'll try to share as much as possible. And you were also kind enough to share a prompt cheat list that we'll add in the description of this episode. And that basically summarizes all your, can we call it R&D that you had on the, on prompts and discovering prompts, different ways to, to write good prompts. So this will be added to the description. Before we start, maybe I'll do a quick introduction and you correct me if I'm wrong anywhere. So, Mike, you're director of analytics at a company called Claro. You were also a contributing writer to RecruitingDaily.com, where you write about a lot of stuff, sourcing, recruiting, and ChatGPT and generative AI as well. And you were a former sourcer manager at Twitter as well, and then did a bunch of other things uh, for years in the recruiting space. Uh, what am I missing in that introduction, Mike? Just that I have a background in talent acquisition. I spent about 15 years and I've had every job. I've been, you know, I came up through agency. I've been a recruiter, a sourcer, a recruiting manager, and a sourcing manager. So, you know, I've seen a lot of different uh, perspectives and had a lot of different hats. And I'm here to talk about how this is going to impact all of those people. But it's not going to impact much, right? It's just a minor difference. <laughs> <laughs> this will change quite a bit, I think. <laughs> all right. So can we, uh, my understanding is a lot of people hear about ChatGPT and GPT-3, GPT-4 now. But from the different polls that we run, we see that about 60% of people are not very familiar with it or with generative AI. So can we start maybe with a quick introduction on what is generative AI? And especially we'll be looking at text generative AI right. today. And why now? Why the hype now? Sure. So AI is different from regular computer programming in that computer programming is a human being programming instructions to a computer to tell it to do something specifically. AI uses a technology called transformers to basically make the computer learn by itself. So it starts to draw associations between information. And in that way, as it produces an answer, humans evaluate that answer it's either good or bad. It goes that feedback goes back into the system and trains the system on on its connections. So it's a combination of information and structure about how to learn combined with feedback from an end user about whether this is a good output or not. And by the way, GPT stands for Generative Pre-trained Transformer. So we can get that transformer here. Now, I do want to say this, though, about generative AI in summary to put it, if you've never heard of it, if you're this is your first time learning about it and you're like, what really is this? Don't give me prompts. Just tell me what it actually is. What it is in simple terms is an infinite content generation machine. It's the new Gutenberg press. It's the one that doesn't just print the books. It writes the books. All right. And it can write much more than books as well. Yes, it can. And the other question would be, why now? Why the hype now? 
So GPT-4 has actually been around, we just found out, for a couple months being tested. But this is a new capability, and it's just been made available to the public. So this is why now it took this long for the technology to mature to the point where it's now usable. Yeah. And what's interesting is that GPT-3, which is the basis for ChatGPT, has been around actually for three years. I think they launched in 2020, first in beta and then release it. And ChatGPT made it very, very easy to use that technology through a different interface. That's a very good like a startup use case where they took an existing technology that didn't grow as fast or as much and embedded into a very simple to use interface, which is basically chatting with a person that ChatGPT. Yeah. And that that really exploded. And ChatGPT was like, a, I don't know, maybe six or 10 months ago. Yeah. And it went to a million users really fast. Yeah. The other thing that ChatGPT did over GPT-3, because I was using three is it stopped a lot of the hallucinations and the emotion like it would get super angry or it could be super clingy to you in gpt3 with chat gpt they also put something on there to filter that because i noticed that was probably another big difference between the two all right and now we're touching on the limits so you said that uh, ChatGPT is in infinite content generation machine yes an ICGM, we, we could come to word the term. What are the limits? Because there is a ton of things that it cannot do. Um, and that's right. also the reason why it won't replace the recruiter and why your book is called The AI Recruiter, basically a recruiter using AI to be more efficient and not being replaced by, by AI. So what are the limitations? Yeah, it has a limitation on its response. And its limitations also are on the user. That's one of the reasons why I can, you know, added the prompt sheet. It's hard to stare at a blank page if you don't know what your options are. And so, you know, I think it's a good place to start with the prompt cheat sheet to see like what your options are and then what your options aren't conversely. And it's limited in the advice it can give. It's limited in the length of response. And it's limited in some areas on topics. Like it won't teach you something that it has been programmed as harmful. So, that is a limit and it, you know, won't swear at people. It won't generate insults for you or anything like that. So there are limits to what it is capable of doing. And some of these limits can be lifted, like swearing, for instance. People have found ways to jailbreak ChatGPT, but that's for another conversation. And some absolutely cannot be lifted, um, mostly what we call hallucination. That's ChatGPT completely making up information. So you, there is one that always surprises me is when you give it a text, ask it to count the number of words, and it will give you a number that's totally half with complete confidence. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about hallucinations, where and when that they happen, and if there is ways to, to control them? Yeah. So they happen when you're asking it for information, and it may or may not have the information on hand to answer the question, but it's going to answer the question. That's part of what makes it such a good storyteller and writer is it's able to make up things that didn't happen. It's able to interview questions as a person with experience that it's never actually had. So it's both a feature and a bug. (laughs) And it's just got to be mitigated and managed. And I think the number one thing to do is to be aware that the AI does hallucinate that this is a problem and that you can't take everything it says or generates at face value. The system isn't self-regulating yet. It isn't self-checking. Now, 
when I was writing the book, there were some instances where I was like, yeah, actually, I know that that's factually true. One of the cases I talk about in the book that actually GPT talks about in the book is Amazon's AI implementation and how that automated their bias. So like there are things in here to be considering and to be concerned about and aware of, but they're not going to, I think, ultimately be enough to stop the tool from being widely adopted. Mm. And that's also the second limitation that you mentioned is the user. And that's the reason why ChatGPT can actually just be as good as the user. It's almost as that coworker, very confident coworker was always doing things, but you know that sometimes it's just making things up completely. So that's exactly here. Uh, the same, you have to consider that you have to check everything that's going through from ChatGPT. If there is factual data, you just always want to make sure that you double check the data, et cetera, et cetera. But also you have to know how to use ChatGPT, how to get it to generate good contents. One thing that I've noticed in the past two weeks is we see more and more LinkedIn posts that are clearly written by ChatGPT. And they're super generic. feels like the person just went to ChatGPT and said, can you write a LinkedIn post about being a good recruiter? And ChatGPT writes a long post that feels super generic. And actually, that's bad. And that's also bad for the person writing it and posting it on uh, themselves. So you want to make sure that you control everything that ChatGPT does. And it cannot be better than yourself, right? Yeah. And that's the entire point of the book here. It's not just to have the context. And I think this is something I needed to call out earlier. The book comes with the prompts I use to generate the text. The idea is to teach people how to do what I've done. So it's copy and paste. And to your point, the more specific to a point that you are with the system, the better the results will be. Now, it's bad, for example, at, you mentioned counting words. If you tell it, write me a 500-word essay, it's going to fail at that. Just because of the way that, I don't want to dive into it, but just the methodology of how it works makes it bad at that. So there are certain things that like that, it won't work. But if you say like, you know, draw on your expertise as an HR professional, comment as an HR professional would on the following, or write me a LinkedIn post that would be interesting to a target audience of recruiters and sourcers about AI, right? Like, and make it a poem, right? Like you can spice it up and change it. And that's the other thing I want to call out I do in this is like, I take one question that's relevant to AI and recruiting and I put it to the AI in different ways so that you can see how it generates and how it responds to basically the same question phrased different ways. And I take, for example, like AI compliance and HR compliance and I run it through and I'm like, okay, speak as an HR expert, speak as a lawyer, you know, speak as a professional recruiter from all these different vantage points. What are the things that we have to consider when we're doing our AI policy? So it's not just the content, which I think is interesting, but it's also to your point, I'm trying to raise the abilities of recruiters and sourcers for the last seven years since I've been writing with Recruiting Daily. And this is a skill we need to learn. We need to learn how to use this in order to improve our game. Because to your point, it can generate a lot of average content, but in the right hands and done the right way, it generates exceptional content. And that's what I think the difference will be between the average recruiter and the excellent recruiter is in the future, the average recruiter will do what you said. They'll come in, they'll type in, hey, GPT, create me a email for a Python developer. Whereas 
a good recruiter or sorcerer in the future will do the same thing, but they'll say like, make it the intro to an RPG game and insert and write Python code in the email with a link. And when they run the code, the link takes them back to the job posting. That recruiter will benefit from AI. Mm, absolutely. And that's, as you said earlier, write a LinkedIn post that would be interesting to an audience as recruiters. You need to know what's interesting. So ChatGPT can generate a post for you, but you will decide whether it's interesting or not and how to make it more interesting. And you need to know what makes it interesting. Same as an outreach email. You need to know what triggers a reply from an outreach email. So you need to know all the best practices and you need to coach uh, ChatGPT. Okay, before we dive into specifics, prompts, you mentioned a few ideas. They're all in the in the cheat list. And we'll dive into this as well because I, I like to expand the horizons about all the different things that we can do. But before we really dive into the tactics of how to get good results, can you give us a bit of overview on the different things that can be done in the entire recruiting process? All sales at Hire Suite, we talk a lot about outbound and writing job descriptions, like the sourcing part. What else can be done? And you list a list of different use cases in your book. Yeah. Yeah. If you try to be as comprehensive as possible, what are the different use cases? For the immediate future, recruiters and sourcers who are looking to use this technology, there's a couple of easy use cases for you. The first is writing outreach emails. It's really good about that. If you, again, give it the right prompts, it can write up a resume summary and a candidate pitch. So if you take a resume of one yourself or one of your candidates and put it in and say, hey, write me a three-paragraph pitch about why this person's a good fit for a nursing manager position. The system will take the resume, read the resume, and then give you the candidate pitch. And you can even, again, flavor it like this is an internal position or as an agency recruiter presenting this to their client, right? Like with context comes better content. It can write a job description. That's a really neat one. I think nobody's going to miss writing job descriptions. <laughs> and to your point, if you write, just like write me a job description for an oncology nurse, you're just going to get the general bullet points. But if you put it like, this is your passion and make the tone altruistic, it will give you a totally different result. It writes interview questions and can answer them. This is something actually recruiters really have to pay attention to now on phone interviews is I could pass a technical phone interview over the phone on a software engineering job now, thanks to GPT, because I could ask it the question and it would give me the answer and it would give me a good answer. And so that is something to be aware of in the future for recruiters is uh, GPT can make anybody an expert on anything over the phone. It can also answer in tone. So if you say, here are the interview questions and you take a resume and say, answer like this person would, it can do that too. So not only would it be able in the future to like take an interview, you could say, here's my resume, here's the interview questions I think I'm going to get asked. And that kind of leads into the next one, right? It can help with candidate prep. It used to be a golden rule in recruiting that you always would prep your candidate before an interview. That seems to have faded over time, but it's a best practice in recruiting. And this is something that GPT is excellent at. Drop the job description, drop candidate resume into GPT and say, help me with an interview guide for this candidate and answer in the STAR methodology. It will answer for you. So it will definitely help with candidate interview prep. It can create Boolean strings for you and it can summarize labor market data. So I worked for Claro. We're a labor market analytics company. I took data from Claro. 
I put it into the system and I said, give me a cost benefit analysis of an education. So I took the salary data of what different jobs at different education levels are paying. And the system pulled data on what the cost of that education is and did a cost benefit analysis. So is it worth it to go back to school? So those are kind of the day-to-day, easy to implement, don't cost anything, things that recruiters and sourcers can do today to start taking advantage of the tool. All right, pretty clear. And that's basically, so there is a pattern. It's either writing text from scratch. And as you say, the more context, the better. If you write a job description, your role as a recruiter is no longer to fine-tune and pick the exact word that you'll use in the job description, which nobody does anyway, but rather to get the information, like what are the, the real requirements? What's the salary range? Yeah. So there's text generation. There's text summarization, like take the salary data, summarize this. And there's also role-playing. That's something you mentioned a lot, like answer as this person, answer these questions as myself be a software engineer and, and reply to the question for me. What else? Editor. It can be an editor. Right. Exactly. That's a very good one. Can you elaborate on this? Yeah. In the foreword of the book, I actually write <laughs> the opening, you know, foreword, and then I demonstrate that capability. Okay, GPT, here's what I wrote. Act as a critic, create a table, list five things wrong with it, why they're wrong, tell me why it's wrong, and tell me what you suggest. Mm -hmm. And it did. It just was like, okay, here's what's wrong with your writing. (laughs) And then I create, I show you how to implement GPT's suggestions into the writing. And then the end of the foreword is after I've taken it through this creative process with GPT, what the end product is. So you can see what I wrote and where we started and then go through this process. And at the end comes out the finished forward. And you could see what, you know, in real time, step by step, what GPT changed, what it updated and how it reacts and behaves. Excellent. So a lot of people say, and I think that is Textio, we released a study on GPT being biased against uh, minorities, but you can actually use GPT as well to help you improve your copy so as to be more inclusive, so as to uh, improve the reply rates of minorities or specific minorities. So that can be a pretty powerful editor. Yeah, it's an extremely powerful tool. And it can give you suggestions too. Like, it's crazy. Normally, if you talk to a human, and I've, I've been writing for a while, that creative process is a back and forth. Mm. And, you know, it takes a person a while to, to look at it, to read it, to come back, think about it, and then come back to you. This did this in a matter of seconds. Yeah, yeah. Like, give me, this is what I try to say. Can you give me five different options to say this? Exactly. And that helps with the generative process. And that's how hopefully it will be used so that humans do not stop thinking and do not stop like uh, creating stuff, but quite the contrary, become better at it. All right. So that's for the high level, we call it strategy, different things they can do, limitations, users' limitations, hallucinations. Now, can we dive into the nitty-gritty of the uh, the prompt cheat sheet that you prepared. Sure. What are interesting ways to write prompts that you found, like more effective ways so as to avoid that everybody has the same generic content? Right. So the, I actually asked GPT for help on this. This is the other nice thing about this tool. When you get stuck, you can actually ask it for help. And I was going through and I've been watching YouTube videos and Dr. Alan Thompson actually speaks a lot about GPT specifically. And so I had some idea of what the options were, but I didn't have like a list or a table and that bothered me. So I actually just asked GPT to create a list of all the options it had. 
And that's where the prompt cheat, cheat mainly comes from. The first little bit is mine. Like what I've discovered kind of is a useful prompt and some capabilities, but it created a much more extensive list, obviously, than I did. You can modify instructions, length, tone, voice. You can ask questions, which I think is really important when you're writing that outreach email, right? You could tell it, transition each paragraph with a question. It's very specific. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's almost overwhelming, the options. Topic, context, format. You can write for the audience, an objective for resources, criteria, creativity, multiple modality, which I think was one that was really hard to do for an AI because that's the use of images, audio, video, and interactive elements, which GPT-4 has the new capability to do. You know, you can collaborate, you can ask for a style, you can ask for like, write this from the perspective, you know, of a child in the 1920s in Poland or something like that. Like it is very good at putting itself in, we call it theory of mind as humans, but it's very good at that perspective writing as well. And then, you know, you could set the mood, the medium, the emotion, the setting, the genre, the language. It speaks every language. That was another off the wall kind of topic for a later time. But could it speak to animals at some point? And (laughs) it says it can. It says it's willing. You know, it says at some point it probably will, which is a whole other thing. But structure, experience, purpose, how formal, like, is it formal, informal, casual, like, it goes on. I don't want to sit here and just list everything that it can do, but it has also a list of areas of expertise. So it could speak as a lawyer. And that's probably the one that gets the most attention online is it's writing legal mm. documents and things like that. It has a lot of legal experience. It can write creatively. It can write about itself. It can act as a coach. I know coaching is a big you know, profession right now, and a lot of people wish they had a coach. GPT-4 can be your coach. You know, it could train you in management. If you were like, hey, I want to learn about management, create me a a learning path for that. It can do that. So it has a broad range of expertise that's listed in the prompt cheat sheet. And then finally, the last one is kind of like its abilities. Like, what can it act as? Like, it can act as a journalist. It can act as a critic. It can act as a psychologist, which I think will be an interesting use case (laughs) for the tool because I think because it's so conversational and it's designed to be conversational, I do think that people are going to end up talking to it. Hmm. Um, And, you know, if you were a psychologist, how would you answer this question, right? I have a friend. (laughs) So there's a lot to unpack. And obviously the the prompt sheet is like, uh, how long is it? It's uh, a few pages, like probably 20 pages or something like this. It's like 12, 13 pages, yeah. Okay. There is a few things I mentioned. The first one is role-playing. It's actually the what's used to jailbreak, something we mentioned earlier, to jailbreak ChatGPT, meaning turning it into removing some of the limitations, like ability to swear. Right. People do this through role-playing. So role-playing is basically saying, telling ChatGPT, I want you to act at that person. And there is a lot of role plays to have in mind, but just like for our audience, people listening to us right now, just remember that ChatGPT is very good at behaving as a role. So act as a coach, psychologist, lawyer, expert recruiter, blah, blah, blah. There is lots of ways to do this. So as an animal, as a dog, maybe <laughs> one day. Right? Uh, I did R2-D2 um, yeah. as an example. <laughs> and it was like beep, boop, beep. And then it put the little projector and the, like the help me Obi-Wan screen. But it actually used that to move the dialogue forward in the conversation instead of beep, boop, beep. <laughs> 
Yeah, you told me about this one. That's, yeah. uh, that's very funny. So yeah, you can act as uh, as fiction characters as well. Then there is the there is a broad array of different ways to get it more results and like trouble phrasing it exactly, but basically right. you give it uh, mood, emotion, uh, genre, language, and that's actually using adjectives to tell him what you want, like be very precise, be accurate, be counterintuitive, be thought-provoking, use data. Use examples. Give me a list, at least three examples. Like if you're having a length, especially if it's a length issue, it's just, it doesn't seem like it's cooperating. That to me is the good way. Come up with a list of 10 things mm. and explain why you are, you know, utilizing each thing. When it comes up against its character limit, it just kind of stops. And then you have to be like, please continue. I imagine that'll come off at some point. <laughs> but, you know, I think it's so that the system doesn't get overwhelmed right now because it's a very complex and compute time intensive process. But you just hit please continue and it can it can generate. Like if you told it, tell me a story once upon a time, you could just hit please continue, please continue, please continue. And it would just keep telling you a story. There is another thing you mentioned in a prompt cheat sheet as well is explain step by steps. And that's a... That's another tactics that's very used, especially when ChatGPT tends to hallucinate or you we want to know exactly how it came to an answer. So you can ask it to explain step by step how to do something. Yeah. And it's good about explaining that too. Like I questioned it a couple, I use that example a couple of times in the book. Like is, do these examples come from the resume? Did you make this up? Like, is this, is this actually true? And you know, that's the other thing. It doesn't get offended by you fact checking it. It'd be like, no, I, I pulled this from this and like, it'll show you its work, which is really nice. And what happens if you say, is it actually true? And does it reply, you know, I just lied or? <laughs> well, it will say like sometimes like when I asked it to answer as somebody, I gave it a resume and I asked it to answer interview questions. It did say like, based on this experience, what I said was a reasonable thing to happen because it made up events like I did this, I did that, mm. I did this, which it's impossible to know from a resume exactly how that happened. But, you know, it said based on the information I have, this was a reasonable answer that this is probably what happened. So okay. the, again, that's the hallucination part. This is the beauty of it and the danger of it is it can be very, very creative and you know, if you've seen the invention of lying, you know, like that's what a story is. It's right. Like it's once upon a time never really happened. It's a lie. <laughs> it's just not intended to convince anybody to believe it's true. We just all know it's a lie because it's a story. Mm -hmm. But that's, I think, the fine line in the sand between it is like it can create a story of something that never happened. That's both its strength and its weakness. You got it. And in the final three minutes that we have now, can you try and shoot as many interesting use cases as you've seen writing this book? So you mentioned R2D2. You also mentioned at some point writing a Python code that gives as a result the link to the careers page. And I remember when we prepared that episode, you mentioned a lot of uh, funny use cases like this. So what are like great, intriguing, not necessarily very useful immediately, but still funny things to do and then that you found in your research? It's conversational, I think, is the first thing that I didn't expect. It feels like you're talking to a person. It really does. I remember seeing Harry Potter, like when he writes into Tom Riddle's diary, and then it disappears, and then writing comes back. This is the digital version of that. <laughs> it's a little unsettling, honestly, at first. But also, it's not, because we're so used to, as human beings, just texting each other and typing to each other. 
that's like 90% of how we communicate in the modern world, it also feels very familiar. It's brilliant. It can talk about just about any topic, which is why I think it's probably so engaging and why people are like there are practical uses for it. And the book covers that. But as far as just being fun and entertaining, like I asked it about astrophysics. I asked it about life on other planets. I asked it about evolution. You know, I have asked it to create policies like, hey, if, you know, the government of the United States was to consider regulations for AI, what would a law, what would a good law look like? And it's like HR resolution, da, da, da. here's a good AI ethics compliance law. So it's like talking to the smartest person you've ever met. <laughs> and <laughs> without judgment, you know what I mean? Without that like condescension that sometimes you feel embarrassed, but it really is like I have yet to throw it for a loop and I feel like I'm a reasonably smart guy. And um, it's been able to hang with just about every conversation on any topic. Like I wrote this book on AI in TA. This is a general purpose tool. It, it was not specifically created for talent acquisition, but it writes better emails than 95% of the recruiters I've seen when correctly prompted. You know, it writes better job descriptions than 90, 95% of the job descriptions out there. So it's very, very capable as far as content generation goes. And I can see why prompt engineering will be so important in the future is because to your point, if you just put in, type me a LinkedIn post, you're going to get something very boring and vanilla. But for people who have like an artistic or creative flair, who can come up with all kinds of creative combinations in the prompt cheat sheet, they're going to be able to generate brand new content. And it's not just brand new content that's good. It's brand new content at speed. I've written two books before. They were shorter than this one, and they both took me a year start to finish. This one will be start to finish less than a month. So that's the other thing I think I want to call out about it is like, it isn't just faster. It is exponentially faster. And for the short term, you know, we have those use cases. But as time goes on, I would bet good money that you'll see AI filtering resumes, writing interview questions, evaluating interview answers and things of this nature in the not too distant future, automating outreach through GPT-4. Again, you don't want it. What will happen is companies, I think, will start to have a brand tone with GPT-4, right? And that might be an interesting distinctive factor because to your point, when everybody's using it, how do you make yourself distinct? I think there'll be a whole prompt engineering on just that. So the jobs will change and what we're required to do will change, but we will still exist. Like at some point you still need a human to come in. GDPR says you can't automate a no. So you still are going to need a human being for the foreseeable future, but this is really good. And if you haven't used it and you haven't had a conversation with it, you should definitely try it out and try out some of its capabilities and see where you can apply it. Because if there is an area of your work where GPT-4 can help you, it is going to make you a lot faster and arguably even better. Perfect. Good parting words. Thanks, Mike. Congrats on that book. We'll check it Thank out. You. It's the AI Recruiter. And we'll also check out your prompt cheat sheets. So thanks a lot for sharing that. That's an entire chapter in your book. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Robin. Hey there, this is Robin. Most of our listeners come from word of mouth. So thanks a lot for your support. And if you enjoy the players, please keep on sharing it with your team and friends. 
Stay tuned for the next episode. And if you can't wait, follow me on LinkedIn for more content on recruiting. Talk to you next week.